All right. Uh, good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. Welcome to another episode of the Weekly Way, the Bible Questions and Answers. Uh, for tonight's episode, we're going to talk about the sins against the Holy Spirit, most of all, how we can avoid committing such sin. Before we go ahead and proceed to our topic for tonight, let's offer first a prayer of thanksgiving. Everlasting Father, gracious Yahuwah Abba, your people continue to worship and to praise you because of your kindness and compassion. We are still here today seeking your presence, looking for your will that we might fulfill them in our life. Loving Father, may you please be with us in our studies tonight. May you send forth your Holy Spirit that, Father, we will be well equipped to overcome sin, especially sins against the Holy Spirit. Our King Yahushua, we beg you to please cleanse our hearts. Also, help us to have open minds and hearts to receive fully the teachings we're going to study this evening. Father, please bless everyone who are going to receive your holy words. May it be implanted deep in our hearts. May it grow into a rich harvest of faith and good deeds for your honor and for your glory. We ask everything, loving Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. All right, praises be to our loving Father that again we're able to study His words and His commandments once again. Tonight's topic is about the sins against the Holy Spirit. Of course, we do not want to commit sin against Yahuwah, against Yahusha, and we do not want to sin against the Holy Spirit. Now, for many people, the sins against the Holy Spirit is not something that's been clarified for them. And so there are those who inadvertently perhaps commit the sin against the Spirit. And so because they lack awareness of the sins against the Spirit, perhaps they do not take action to protect themselves from it and do not take the proper steps to repent and return to Yahuwah Abba. This is why this lesson tonight is so very important because the kind of sins we want to avoid are the sins against the Holy Spirit. Now, before we go ahead and proceed, let's look at the question uh, by which we base this uh, topic on. And this was submitted to us via our ministry at uh, assemblyofthehutra.org email. This is what it says. Good day, Paul. Brother John, I have questions for these things bother me because these things keep repeating and I keep on thinking about these things lately. What does the Bible say about sins against the Holy Spirit? If you sin to the Holy Spirit, is there no forgiveness? These verses quote made me worry. I'm trying to commit myself, my work, and my life to Abba Yahuwah. But what if there's a test and I couldn't or wouldn't pass it? Because of my anger and hatred, because of one time recklessness overcame or overshadowed me, will Abba remember the good things and sacrifices I've done? This worries me a lot because I've witnessed righteous people committing unimaginable and abominable things. How do I avoid these things? How to resist the devil? What if he is so strong? And so it is quite apparent that the person asking this question is bothered by the possibility that he or she might commit the sin that is unforgivable. And the fact that he or she is asking this question tells me one thing, that this person has not committed the sin or blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. This tells us this person has a great heart, a heart sensitive against sin and sensitive to do the work of Yahuwah. So that's a good thing. Whoever asks this question has a good heart and wants to make sure that he or she does not end up sinning against Yahuwah, against Yahushua, 
and of course against the spirit. So let us go ahead and look and address the first question on here, which is what does the Bible say about sins against the Holy Spirit? Now before we go ahead and look into the sins against the Holy Spirit, I think it would do us well to understand that sin in general is something we need to avoid. We cannot categorize sin and say this is sin according to the flesh, and this is sin according to the spirit, right? We want to avoid all sin. Why must we avoid all sin? Book First John 5, 16, 17, 17. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I am not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin. But not every sin leads to death. Bible tells us there is a sin that does not lead to death and a sin that leads to death. Now, what's the difference between the two? I believe the sin that leads to death are the sins not accounted for, not repented over, and so they continue to commit those sins. This is why there are people nowadays who do not seem bothered at all by committing sin. And so the heart has become callous. They do not feel the pain of sin when they commit sin. That's a dangerous place to be because when a person is no longer being bothered by the sins he or she commits, it will lead to death. But if a person, whenever he or she commits sin, feels a need for repentance, that's a good sign because that means Yahuwah is still willing to forgive your sin. So we need to make a distinction between a, a, a sin that leads to death and the sin that does not lead to death. And the Bible says those who whose sins lead to death are those whose sins has completely taken over their life. It no longer interests them to repent and to return to Yahuwah. And so let us avoid all sin because every sin, whether it's a sin against the spirit or a sin against our flesh, every sin has the potential to lead us to where? to death, okay? And so let us keep that in mind. We must avoid all sin. Now, having said that, does the Bible mention sins against the Holy Spirit? Yes, as a matter of fact, there are six places in the Holy Bible which specifically speak about the sins against the Holy Spirit. We are in the book of Ephesians 4, Acts 7, Thessalonians 5, Acts 5, Hebrews 10, and Matthew 12. We will look at each of these sins against the Holy Spirit and ask ourselves, are we perhaps guilty of committing these sins and what we can do so that we can protect ourselves from committing the sins against the Holy Spirit. So let's begin with Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 starts as follows. In Ephesians 4, 30 to 31, this is where it is mentioned. Uh, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And so what is one kind of sin against the Holy Spirit? It is the sin of grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, how do we end up grieving the Holy Spirit? When we don't do what Apostle Paul tells us to do here. What is that? He says, put away from you, put away from your heart, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. As human beings, do we sometimes become bitter? Yes or no? 
I think we can say yes, as human beings, do we sometimes experience wrath and anger and clamor and evil? Do we sometimes think evil of other people and show malice against them? Perhaps from time to time, we do that, right? Apostle Paul is telling us, put it away from you. In other words, do not let it linger in your heart. Because when we let anger, when we let bitterness, when we let hatred uh, stew and linger in our heart, it ends up grieving the Holy Spirit. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit for such a length of time, it may reach a point of no return and we are no longer able to return to Yahuwah. And so we need to make sure that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit by harboring anger and bitterness and hatred in our heart. So that's the first kind of sin against the Holy Spirit, when we grieve the Holy Spirit. That's Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. What does Acts chapter 7 uh, teach us about the sins against the Spirit? Let's read the book of Acts 7, 51 to 53. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You were just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet you, your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. And so according to the book of Acts, chapter 7, what is another kind of sin against the Holy Spirit? It is the work of resisting the Holy Spirit. And so the first one is grieving the Holy Spirit. Now we have resisting the Holy Spirit. Now what does it mean to resist the Holy Spirit? It means that we reject the work of the Holy Spirit in uncovering the work of salvation that Yahuwah intends for his people. Remember, ever since the very beginning, after the fall of mankind, what did Yahuwah God initiate? It's the work of redemption. This is why the unfolding of history reveals the redemptive work of Yahuwah Abba ever since the days of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It unfolds and continues even to this day. And here, Stephen is the one speaking, and he's speaking to the people of Israel, and they do not recognize the work of restoration, the redemptive work of Yahuwah, because they resisted the work of the Spirit. They could not recognize it. See, that's the problem. The reason why the people of Israel resisted it is because they could not recognize Yahuwah's work of restoration. And so what did they fail to see? They failed to see the Redeemer. Who is that Redeemer? Yahusha. In fact, what did they end up doing to the Redeemer? The Bible says they even murdered him, right? He was called the righteous one. He was betrayed. He was murdered. And so what caused the people of Israel to fail to see the progressive work of, revel of, of redemption, the progressive work of restoration that was being implemented by Yahuwah? Bible says because they had uncircumcised hearts and uncircumcised ears. In other words, their hearts and ears were callous, extra flesh that obstructed their proper function. So their heart was not functioning right, 
their ears were not functioning right because it was uncircumcised the flesh was not yet removed and so there's a big veil that prevents them from being able to see the work of Yahuwah's work of restoration concerning the Redeemer the righteous one or Yahusha now what often causes this the for a person's hearts and ears to be able to stop functioning what caused the people of Israel to have uncircumcised hearts and ears? Let's read the book of Matthew 15, 3 to 9. Yahushua replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it lest you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Those people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. What caused the people of Israel to reject the Messiah because of uncircumcised hearts and ears? It's the problem of tradition. You know what tradition means? Usually, when an organization is around for a long, long time, they kind of develop their own tradition, right? They develop their own human rules. And oftentimes, these traditions or man-made rules become doctrine. And so this is what happened to Israel, because they were a religion that existed for a long time. They kind of got stuck with Moses. They kind of got stuck with Abraham. And they were not able to leave behind the old ways and follow the way of the righteous one. Who is that? Yahushua. And so they could not keep up with the progressive work of restoration that Yahuwah continues to unfold to who? To the Messiah, to our King, Yahushua. And this is the problem of tradition. Tradition, when it replaces the Word of God, when it modifies the work of God, it causes the heart and the ears and prevents the, the, the heart and the ears from functioning properly and receive the message of Yahuwah. And because of this, what would happen to them? How can we break through tradition? How can we not let tradition nullify the work and the word of God so that we will not be able to resist the work of the Spirit? Let's read Matthew 13, 10 to 15. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. And then is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, you will ever be, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. How can we? overcome the problem of tradition taking place of the Word of God so that we can follow the work of restoration and ongoing progressive 
revelation. Well, the Bible tells us we must seek the knowledge of the kingdom of heaven. We must be willing to study scripture so that we can grow in abundance with the knowledge of Yahuwah's work, especially the work of Yahuwah in these last days. Because the unfolding of Yahuwah's work of restoration is really intensified right now. We need to become aware of what the scripture reveals concerning the work of Yahuwah today. Just like what Yahuwah was doing when Yahusha was here on earth. It's unfortunate there were many people during that time when our king was here on earth. And because they were so fixed with their tradition, they were not able to see, not able to hear, and not able to understand their hearts. That's what it means for their hearts and ears to be uncircumcised. And so they were covered with a veil. They could not see the work of Yahuwah as forecasted or forewarned or prophesied by the prophets that was happening during their time. This is why when they saw the Messiah, what did they do with the Messiah? They killed him, right? They betrayed our king. And so what is our duty today? We need to study scripture. And when we study scripture, we need to be willing to grow. This is why, if you notice verse 12, whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him. You know, we came from our former religion, Iglesia and Cristo, and I love my former religion, Iglesia and Cristo. It is unfortunate, though, that sometimes, you know, when the organization existed for a hundred years, we kind of create our own traditions, right? Our own human rules, and it prevents us from learning scriptures. For example, one of the traditions is we should not study the Bible. How many here kind of had this tradition or this human rule that tells us you should not study the Word of God on your own, that you cannot read the Bible on your own, that we should not study what the Brother Felix Manalo taught, not, not teach, that you should not study what was never taught in the pulpit of the Russian Christo. And so we were kind of led to this idea that if it was not taught by Brother Felix Manalo, we should ignore it. Well, the Bible says, no, that's just a tradition. That's not the command of Yahuwah. We were given scripture because Yahuwah wants us to grow more and more, to grow in abundance with, in the knowledge of scriptures. But those who refuse that, those who have uncircumcised ears and hearts, the Bible says what little they have, it will be even taken away from them. And those who are hungry to know the word of God, they will be given more and more. They will have an abundance. And in this abundance, what happens? Their, their eyes and ears and hearts become circumcised. And they're able to see the work of redemption. And so those are the ones who will not resist the work of the Holy Spirit. So to resist the Holy Spirit is to resist the ongoing. It's right. It's happening now. The ongoing work of restoration of King Yahushua came to fulfill for our redemption because well, we're stuck in our own traditions and unwilling to move on from old ways. So that's Acts chapter 7, resisting the Holy Spirit. And so what is another kind of sin against the Holy Spirit? Let's turn to the book of Thessalonians, and this is related to Acts verse 7. Let's look at Thessalonians 5, and we can find that in 5.19.20 in the New Living Translation and the New King James Version, I want to read both side by side, do not stifle 
the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. So, also Paul is telling us that we should not stifle. And the word stifle means do not quench, right? When you know the work of the Holy Spirit is ongoing, and you can feel it and sense it, and you understand it, why stifle it? Why hinder it? Why quench it? We must not do that. And what is one way of stifling the Holy Spirit? One way of quenching the Holy Spirit. When people scoff at prophecies. Nowadays, people say, why do you have to bother reading the Old Testament? Well, the Old Testament contains prophecies that have not been fulfilled. It contains prophecies that are being fulfilled right now. And so when we scoff it, when we mock it, when we say it's no longer relevant, we are stifling and quenching the Holy Spirit. That's something we should never do. Why must we not quench or stifle the work of the Holy Spirit? Why must we pay close attention to the prophecies found in the Old Testament? Let's read the book of 2 Peter 1, 19-21. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention. You know what is that? You must pay close attention to what they wrote. For the words are like a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns. And Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Why? Must we not mock or scoff at? Why must we not disregard or set to the side the prophecies of the Old Testament? Bible says because the people who wrote those prophecies were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from who? From God. In other words, the prophecies in Amos, in Micah, in Malachi, in Zechariah, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, it's something we have to pay close attention to, especially now. Why? What purpose do the prophecies give us? Bible says it's like a lamp that shines in a dark place. Is it true that we need the light today? Absolutely, because there's darkness. And this darkness is perpetuated by deception, lies, especially the lie against the Holy Scriptures, lies against Yahuwah. And so what we need is the light of scripture. And one source of light is the prophecy, the prophecy. And so what we need to do, especially now, is to pay close attention to what the prophets wrote. Because everything the prophets wrote is all going to come to pass. It will be fulfilled. Remember what our King Yehusha said? Remember what he said in Matthew chapter 5? All the law and the prophets, all of that is going to be fulfilled. What many people fail to realize is, a majority of the prophecies have yet to be fulfilled. And there are many being fulfilled as we speak. So we need to pay close attention to the prophecies in the Old Testament. Apostle Peter wrote that. You know where he got that from? Let's read the book of Acts 15, 13 and 17. When they had finished speaking, James spoke up. Listen to me, my friends. Simon has just explained how God first moved his care for the Gentiles by taking from among them a people to belong to him. The words of the prophets agree completely with this. As the scripture says, after this, I will return, says uh, the Lord, and restore the kingdom of David. I will rebuild its ruins and make it strong again. 
And so all the rest of the human race will come to me. All the Gentiles whom I have called to be my own. You know, in the book of Acts, when you read it in the Holy Scriptures, it presents to you the, one of the great big controversies of the followers of Yahushua. And that controversy came up when the Gentiles were being called by Yahuwah. Because initially, those who were being called were those from Israel, right? And then Yahuwah decides, okay, it's now time to bring in the Gentiles, to graft in the Gentiles. And so this brought a great controversy. What are we supposed to do with the Gentiles? Are we going to force them to receive circumcision, to become a member of the Assembly of Egypt? Is that the way? And so this was a great controversy. And so to solve this great controversy, what did they do? Well, they first looked at the testimonies. What was actually happening in the Gentile world? And so they had that data. But what did he also do? What did James do? He went to the prophets. He was reading the prophecies of the prophets. And he stumbled across Amos, the book of Amos, one of the prophets. And what did he uncover in the prophecy of Amos? About the work of Yehovah God concerning the Gentiles. And so he connected the prophecy with what was happening during that time and said, this is the will of Yahuwah Abba. We must not give additional burdens to the Gentiles. And so because of Amos, because of the prophecy, well, the, the controversy was Saul. During our time, many things are happening, right? I mean, we, all of our life, we were brought up in the INC. We grew up having these certain traditions. But now, after leaving, because of our reasons that we have made known and clear to everyone long ago, but we're not going to go back there again, right? Now that we have left, we need to know what we're going to do. And so what do we do? We look to the light that will shine when everything is dark, the prophecy. And so the prophecy is something we need to look for guidance because it will tell us Yahuwah's work of redemption, Yahuwah's work of restoration. What's the proof? Why should we always look into the prophecies? Why should we always look into the prophets for guidance? In the book of Amos 3 verse 7, indeed the sovereign Yahuwah never does anything until he reveals his plans to his service, the prophets. You know, the Bible says Yahuwah's sovereign. Does he have to reveal his plans to the prophets? Does he have to do that? No, he doesn't have to do anything. He is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. But what does he choose to do? Bible says, sovereign Yahuwah, one who can do whatever he wants. He says, well, he chooses not to do anything until he reveals his plans to his servant, the prophets. This is why all the plans of Yahuwah concerning the future, concerning what's happening now, guess what? It's all recorded in the Old Testament, in the book of the prophet. This is why Yahushua said, but all the law of the prophets is going to be fulfilled. Look to the prophets. Because the prophets speak of Yahushua and the work of redemption that Yahushua will complete. It's still in the process of completion. It is in the process of restoration. And so we need to look at the prophets and the prophecies. You see, the prophecies reveal Yahuwah's work of restoration. And this work of restoration is ongoing it's happening now, and it points us to a direction where we need to go, where the assembly must go. 
because that's the purpose of the light, right? If you have a light, what do you do? You follow that light. You don't go away from the light. You follow the light. Yahuwah has given us the prophecy. We have been given the light. We follow the light. And so when we see the pattern of prophecy being unfolded before our eyes, we need to follow that work of restoration. So what's, what are some examples of the present work of restoration that we find in prophecy? Number one, the gathering of the tribes of Israel from the islands of the sea in the Far East. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 43, Revelation 75. We've studied that already, right? What else? Well, the prophecy also says the third group of God's people in Zechariah. We're going to call on the name of Yahuwah. Zechariah 13, Acts 21, Romans 10, 13. That's what the prophecy says. So what do we do? We follow the prophecy because it's our light. It's what Yahuwah wants us to do. Prophecy reveals not just what's going to happen in the future, but also the will of Yahuwah. It reveals to us what he wants. And once we know what he wants, we need to do it, right? And so what does Yahuwah want? That his people will call upon the name of Yahuwah. And when we decided to do this, we got persecuted, did we not? There were many who resisted proclaiming the name of Yahuwah. However, the Bible says those who resist the work of the prophecy, the work of calling upon the name of Yahuwah, they are resisting the Holy Spirit, which is why we decided to continue to preach the name of Yahuwah, to call upon his name, because if he will stop, and we're stifling, we're quenching the Holy Spirit. We're not going to stop. We're going to follow what the prophecy reveals. It's not just that we will call upon the name of Yahuwah. The Bible says the tribes of Israel will also be called by the name of Yahusha. Isaiah 47, Isaiah 56, 5. This is why we, just, we became registered as the assembly of Yahusha. Because we want to be identified officially by the name of Yahusha to fulfill Yahuwah's will as revealed in the prophecy. So we will call upon the name Yahuwah. We will be called and identified by the name of Yahusha. That's not all. What else? The tribes of Israel from the islands of the sea, called by the name of Yahusha, will make the Ten Commandments great and glorious. Isaiah 42, 10.1, Isaiah 43, 7. This is why we began to preach all about the Ten Commandments. In our series of worship service lessons, this coming Sabbath and the succeeding Sabbaths after that, we'll have the topic of the Ten Commandments. Soon we're going to be available for all of you to download the Ten Commandments of Yahuwah together with the Shema. And it would be great if we can frame that and put it on our walls so we can be reminded daily about our duty to make glorious and to make great the commandments of our Father Yahuwah. What else? Uh, the tribes of Israel, called by the name of Yahushua, will honor Sabbath. This is why we're conducting our worship gatherings on a Sabbath. We are proclaiming Sabbath. We want to honor Sabbath because not only is it part, part of the Ten Commandments, it's also one of the work that has uh, work of restoration that Yahuwah has revealed for those who are the tribes of Israel and are called by the name of Yahushua. And also, the assembly will return to Jerusalem to proclaim Yahuwah and to declare that Yahusha is Lord, according to Romans 10, 14-15, and Isaiah 52, 6-10. This is why it is our desire, our burning desire, that the assembly of Yahusha will go to Israel, will go to Jerusalem, and tell people about Yahuwah, 
And also, proclaim that Yahusha is our Lord. He is the one who comes in the name of Yahuwah, and we will call him blessed. And so all this is found in the prophets, because the prophets contain the plans of Yahuwah, including and especially the plan of restoration that is ongoing, and it will be fulfilled until it's completed on the day of our king's return. And so we must not stifle, we must not oppose or resist the work that has been found and revealed to us by means of these prophecies. This is why we have to go to Jerusalem. This is why we have to proclaim the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments in the name of the Father, Yahuwah, and His Son, Yahusha. Because to stifle or quench the Holy Spirit is to resist the work of restoration that prophecy reveals. And so Thessalonians 5 is about stifling or quenching the Holy Spirit. What else? In the book of Acts, chapter 5, it also mentions a sin against the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says, Acts verse 5, and we find it in 3 verse 9, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Then Peter said to her, how is it uh, that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look at the feet of those who have buried your husband or at the door, and they will carry you out. So here the Bible speaks about the sin of lying to the Holy Spirit, right, and testing the Holy Spirit. And indeed, this is a grievous sin, because when we look at the consequence of this sin, well, it resulted in instant death, basically. This is Ananias and Zephyra, and they were husband and wife, and their sin was to lie to the Holy Spirit and to test the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? How do they lie to the Holy Spirit? How do they test the Holy Spirit? So for us to answer that question, we have to get the context, right? I mean, what was this all about? Why did the Apostle Peter say, Ananias lied? Let's read the book of Acts. To get the context, we go read the passages above it, which is found in Acts 4.29 to 31, and this is what was happening. And now, O Lord, hear their, heart, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Now, pause for a while. And so this was soon after the day of Pentecost. Remember, uh, the day of Pentecost was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was basically the birth of the assembly. So the assembly was young. The assembly is young. And so, because the assembly is young and there's a lot of persecution, they pray to Yahuwah. And what were they praying about? They wanted to say to Yahuwah, there's a lot of threats. And so the assembly was subjected to a lot of threats. Where a lot of people were trying to stop and stifle the work of the assembly to prevent it from growing. They wanted to destroy the assembly, right? And so they prayed to Yahuwah and they asked, you know, look at the threats. And what was the main work of the assembly? To preach boldly what? The word of God. And so when they were praying, they were asking Yahuwah, they were asking Yahushua to give them the solution, to give them help, so that even if there were threats, it would not hinder the work of the preaching of the word of God. Because that's the work of the assembly of Yahushua, to testify about Yahuwah and Yahushua. So verse 30, stretch out your hand with healing power, May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Yahushua. After this prayer, the meeting place shook 
and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. And so while they were praying, asking for the help of Yahuwah, that they will be able to preach the word of God as the assembly who testifies about Yahusha, the name Yahusha, and the miracles be done in the name of Yahusha. What happened while they were praying? Bible says, Yahusha, they received the Holy Spirit. All were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, who were in attendance during this meeting? During maybe this was probably the first time the assembly met, and it was an inauguration worship service of the assembly. Who were present when they met together for worship? Ananias and Zephyrah. So Ananias and Zephyrah, they were there. They received the Holy Spirit as they prayed to Yahuwah because they were asking help for the assembly to grow, especially in preaching the word of God. And so because they received the Holy Spirit, all of them, what were they moved to do? Well, let's keep reading, 32 to 37. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that they were owned, what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Yahushua, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to have to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Remember, the apostles, together with the assembly, they prayed to Yahuwah, asking for guidance, asking for help, so that they can continue to preach boldly the word of God. And when they received the Spirit, the Spirit moved all of them to do what? What does the Bible say? All the believers were united in heart and mind, together with who were there, who were also present, who were united in heart and mind with what the assembly wanted to do. Who was that? Ananias and Zephyrah. And so when they were present at that inaugurational worship service, we can probably call it that, when they were present, what were they in agreement with? What did they believe? What did they unite with fully with their heart and mind? Well, what they owned was not their own. And they shared everything that they had. And what did this entail? What did this include? The lands, the houses, they sold all of that and gave the money to who? The assembly. Gave it to the apostles to be used for the assembly, to help those who are in need. And so that the assembly will grow. That the assembly will prosper, especially in the work of preaching the word of God. And so this is what we agreed to do. Okay. However, after they made this agreement, after they have pledged, after they united with the others, as moved by the Holy Spirit, what did Ananias and Zephyrah inspire? Let's read the book of Acts 5, 1 to 2. But there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. And so everyone was in agreement to sell the property, sell the land, and give the full amount to the apostles, to the assembly, right? However, Ananias and Zephyrah, they conspired. What did they decide to do? They 
they only brought part of the money to the apostles. And what they gave to the apostles was not the full amount because they took a lot of it for themselves, right? They did not tell, they, they did not say that to the apostles. It's only between the two of them, Ananias and Zephyr. They kept the rest. And so part of the proceeds that were supposed to go to the apostles to the assembly, they kept for themselves. They wanted that property, they wanted that money. And so what happened after this? Well, Peter confronted Ananias in three down to six, and Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart on cause of what? So it's possible for a person who received the Holy Spirit to be influenced by Satan. Because he just came from the service, and they all were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were moved uh, to, to give themselves, to share their work, to share what they possessed with the assembly. But after a while, Ananias was filled with Satan. Satan was able to penetrate his heart. Just like brethren, we have to be careful with our heart. We don't want Satan to fill himself and penetrate our heart. We've got to protect our heart, right? Because it's possible, you know, it's very possible, even though we belong to the Assembly of Revolution, we're doing our best to please Yahuwah, it's possible that Satan can penetrate our heart, and so we have to protect ourselves from that. And so, Apostle Peter, when he confronted Ananias, he says, Ananias, why have you left Satan? Why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell and not sell as you wish, and after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard, uh, who heard about it was terrified, and some young men got up, wrapped him, wrapped him in the sheet, and took him out and buried him. And so when Ananias and Zephyra kept a portion of the money that was supposed to go fully, to the assembly, what did Apostle Peter say to Ananias? He said, Ananias, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Why did Peter say, you lied to the Holy Spirit? Because they made an agreement, moved by the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit came down, after they worshiped and prayed together, they made an agreement. What was that? We're gonna give everything they had, everything they owned, we're gonna surrender to the assembly. This is why Apostle Peter said, you know, the property was yours to sell or not sell as you wish, and after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. In other words, Apostle Peter is telling Ananias, you know, you have every right to do whatever you want with your money. It's your money, right? I mean, legally, Apostle Peter has, he doesn't have no claims. Legally, the assembly has no claims over what was, over what Ananias owned, because that's his. This is what Apostle Peter is saying. You know, before you agreed to do this, it was yours to sell or not sell. It was yours to give or not give the money. That's not the problem. The problem is you agreed in the beginning, moved by the Holy Spirit, that you can give all of it. But when you took back part of it, you ended up lying against who? The Holy Spirit. Lying against Yahuwah Abba. This is why when Ananias and Zephyra was unwilling to give the whole amount, but that was the equivalent of a sin against the Holy Spirit because it was the Holy Spirit that moved them to give selflessly of what they owned 
in the first place, but they took it back. Right? So initially they gave it, but they took it back. And so that's like lying against the Holy Spirit. And so what did Apostle Peter say to the wife? Let's read. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing uh, what had happened. Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for the land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? A young man who buried your husband was just outside the door, and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor, died. When the young man came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. And so after Ananias dies, Peter confronts Zephira. And when he confronts Zephira, he asks her, what's this the price you and your husband received for your land? And of course, what does Zephira say? It is. And so she lied. She conspired with her. Awesome. This was teamwork. They conspired to take back what they agreed to, to give fully to the assembly when it all started. You see that? And when this happened, he said, Apostle Peter says, you are conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord. Now, what motivation did Ananias and Zephyra have? I think it's selfish. Selfish motivation, right? Because they wanted to keep the money for themselves. They were not willing to sacrifice for the sake of the growth of the assembly. And so because they were willing, they were not willing to sacrifice by giving up what they owned for the sake of the growth of the assembly, well, they lied to the Spirit. And so, brethren, we have to be careful because when we're moved by the Holy Spirit of Yehovah, we make a pledge, we make a vow, because when we first assembled together on an inauguration day, when we met as an assembly and we received the power of the Holy Spirit, if you still remember, we raised our right hand, did we know? And we dedicated our work to Yahuwah. And so to avoid being like Ananias and Zephira, we need to make sure that we are not driven by selfish reasons, because if we are driven by selfish reasons, we might commit the sin, Ananias and the fire. And so who should we emulate? Who should we follow as an example so that we don't take ownership of something that doesn't really belong to us? Let's read the book of Corinthians uh, 3, 18, 23. You should not fool yourself. If any of you think that you are wise by this world's standards, you should become a fool in order to be wise. For what this world considers to be wisdom is nonsense in God's sight. As the scripture says, God traps the wise in their cleverness. And another scripture says, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are worthless. No one then should boast about what human beings can do. Actually, everything belongs to you, to God. Paul, Apollos, and Peter, this world, life and death, the present and future, all of these are yours, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. And so here, Apostle uh, Paul is reminding us that we should not boast of our own wisdom, that if ever we can do anything that preach the word of God, we should, never, we should never claim that this is our own doing. This is what the message of Apostle Paul to the Corinthians was. He says, Paul, Apollos, and Peter, we're all belong to God. 
There's nothing we can do on our own. This is why Apostle Paul, Peter, and Apollos, they did not, they did not put a copyright on what they were preaching because it did not really belong to them. The spirit that moved them was from God. This is what they dedicated themselves to do. They dedicated their work to God. Once it was dedicated to God, it belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you anymore. Unless, of course, you're boasting about your own abilities. If you're going to say, well, this is my own work. I own this. Well, then that's going against what Apostle Paul is saying. You did the work for Yahweh's kingdom because of the spirit in you. But if you're going to take it back, then you are insulting. And you are lying against the Holy Spirit. So to lie and test the Holy Spirit is conspiring against the growth of the assembly because of personal and selfish reasons. Like Ananias and Zephyra, who had malicious motives and had selfish motives, which is why they were not honest and did not keep their agreement in the beginning when the assembly was being filled. And so that's uh, Acts chapter 5, right? Lying and testing against the Spirit. Hebrews 10, what is this all about? Let's look at Hebrews 10 now. Hebrews 10, 29, just think how much worse the punishment would be for those who have trampled on the Son of God, have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy on us. So it also is another kind of sin against the Holy Spirit. It is the work of insulting the Holy Spirit, right? What is this that Apostle Paul is saying as the equivalent of insulting and disdaining the Holy Spirit? It is a work that is the equivalent of trampling the Son of God. I mean, we don't want to do that. We don't want to trample the Son of God. What else? You're treating the blood of the covenant as though it was common and unholy and insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit. So there's a kind of work which is the equivalent of all three. That's pretty bad, isn't it? When we think about what Apostle Paul is saying here, there is a kind of work that is the equivalent of trampling the Son of God, treating the blood of the covenant like it was common and unholy, and insulting the Holy Spirit. What is Apostle Paul talking about? Any guess? Any idea what Apostle Paul was talking about here? Well, let's go up and look at the context. Hebrews 10, 25, 27. Let us not give up uh, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire will consume the enemies of God. And so what is that work, according to Apostle Paul, is equivalent to trampling the Son of God underfoot, the equivalent of cheating or treating the blood of the covenant, the shed blood of Yahushua on the cross, as though it was cheap and common and unholy, and insulting the Holy Spirit. What is that work? It is the work of the enemies of God. And who, what is that work of the enemies of God? They will hinder the work out meeting together. What is the will of Yahuwah Abba for each one of us? It is to worship God, to worship Yahuwah. Yes, there's personal worship, 
but there's also a kind of worship that Yahuwah desires from his people. What is this called? It's the congregational worship service. This is when we worship by meeting together. And how do we fulfill this will of Yahuwah that we worship by meeting together? Uh, through technology today, right? Online, uh, Zoom, we have YouTube, we have Facebook. And so this is what we're using so that we can fulfill this command to meet together. I mean, it's good that you will have your own personal ways of worship. You know, you read the Bible on your own, you have your devotions, you pray on your own. That's good. We should do that. We share our faith with others. That's good. We should do that. But we must not forsake the habit of meeting together for worship. When must we all the more intensify our work of meeting together for worship? When you see the day approaching. What is that day? What is that day? That's the day of Yahuwah when he will send his son, Yahushua. We know we're very close to that. Which is why we're not surprised the enemies of God, led by, of course, the chief enemy, the devil, what will he do? He will infiltrate the assembly. He will look for ways to try and hinder the work of worship. And what must we do so that we will never, ever hinder the work of meeting together? We must be committed in always being present when we meet together for Worship, because the Bible says that we deliberately keep on sinning. We become enemies of God. No sacrifice for sins are left. There's a fearful expectation of judgment. And so, brothers and sisters, we must not take for granted you know, this ability of ours to worship together as a group, congregational worship service. Woe to those who try to hinder this work of worship. Why? Because of what the apostle said. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses, was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment would be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. You know what it took for Yahuwah so that we can meet together for worship and be accepted in our worship? Yahuwah had to give up his son to die on the cross. It was Yahushua's death on the cross that allows us to meet together for worship. During the days of Israel, they could only meet together for worship, and the most holy place was open, but it was only accessible to the high priest, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement. But now, because of the death of Yahushua, by the will of Yahuwah Abba, by his shed blood, we can now meet together and have access to the most holy place when we meet together for worship. And then you're going to forsake it? You're going to oppose it? Brethren, the Bible says that is a sin that is equivalent, equivalent to trampling Yahushua the Christ, the Son of God, treating his blood like it was common and unholy and insulting the Holy Spirit of God. And so to insult the Holy Spirit is to deliberately forsake or hinder the work of gathering together for worship and so so far we have breathing the holy spirit resisting the holy spirit stifling or quenching the holy spirit lying and testing again the holy spirit and insulting the holy spirit let's go to the last one matthew chapter 12 what is this about well, let's look at matthew 12 31 32 every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven except blasphemy against the holy spirit which will never be forgiven Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to 
come. And so this is something I think that we need to be aware of because we don't want to ever commit this sin, right? I mean, it's pretty clear that some of that is not a liar. And so he is speaking about a sin that cannot be forgiven. And what is that sin? Where you blaspheme the Holy Spirit by speaking against the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, or Husha says, you will not be forgiven, not in this world, not in the world to come, not in the age to come. So what does this mean? What is the sin against the Holy Spirit? What is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Well, we need to read the context. To do that, let's go up from 22 to 23. And the demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Yahushua. He healed the man so that he could speak, he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked, could it be that Yahushua is the son of David, the Messiah? And so it's all kind of started when Yahushua healed a demon-possessed man who was blind and could not speak. And so what did Yahushua do? He performed a miracle, basically, before the eyes of a crowd, before the eyes of many people. And so there were Pharisees there, and there were the regular crowd that was there. And they witnessed Yahushua perform a miracle. What was that miracle? Healing a man, right? And so why did Yahushua decide to perform this miracle? Because the Israelites were stubborn in heart, right? Because they were stuck. They were stuck in their traditions. And they were expecting a certain kind of leader to come up. Because they were expecting for the son of David to come. To come. And their expectation, according to their tradition, of the son of David is some king, is some king who will overthrow Rome. That's their expectation, right? And so when Yahushua is preaching, He's saying, you know, he's teaching about that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of God. They could not accept that. They could not accept the preaching of John the Baptist. They could not accept the preaching of Yahushua. And so Yahushua, in his compassion, what did he decide to do? Perform a miracle. So that by a miracle, many will be convinced. And so when he performed the miracle, what was the response of the crowd? The crowd said, could it be that Yahushua is the Son of David, the Messiah? I mean, he doesn't look like a powerful ruler. If you can perform this miracle, and what he's preaching is empowered by the Holy Spirit, filled with power and authority, could he be the Son of David, the Messiah? And so the crowd are beginning to believe because Yahushua did not perform now, right? But what was the reaction of the Pharisees? Look at what it says, Matthew 12, 24. When the Pharisees heard this, they replied, He drives out demons only because their ruler. Beelzebub gives him power to do so. And so Yahushua, because he wants to convince the people to accept him as their Messiah, as the king, as the son of David, the Messiah, right? He preached, that did not work. He performs a miracle, and what did the Pharisees decide to do? Accuse him of using the power of Beelzebub. And so after he said this, what did Yahushua say? Uh, no, it's not Beelzebub, but God's Spirit, who gives me the power to drive out demons, which proves that the kingdom of God has already come upon you. For this reason, I tell you, people can be forgiven any sin and any evil thing they say, but whoever says evil things against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who says something against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but whoever says something against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven now or ever. So what was that sin against the Holy Spirit? When they attributed the work of the Holy Spirit to that of Beelzebub, right? So that was like a unique, unique blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. And so I don't think, 
don't know if you can do that now. And if you, if the work of the assembly, you're going to attribute to the work of Bozabal, that's probably the one. Right? This is why we should never say that. And so what is blasphemy and speaking against the Holy Spirit? It is the, it is the continuous rejecting of Yahusha's work of redemption, Yahusha's work of restoration. When we continuously reject Yahusha, even after witnessing the power of the Holy Spirit, then we are speak, and then we speak against the Spirit, we are considered blasphemy against the Spirit. So that we will not end up you know, committing the sin against the Holy Spirit, this blasphemy sin against the Holy Spirit. What should we do? Matthew 12, 30, anyone who isn't with me opposes me. Anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. It's a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or in the world to come. And so, so that we will not be in danger of committing the unforgivable sin, brethren, after tasting, receiving the Holy Spirit, after experiencing the work of Yahuwah in our life, in our heart, let us not be opposed to work of Yahushua. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. In other words, what Yahushua wants us to do is not to be stagnant, not to be passive, but to work with him. You see, Yahushua wants us to work with him. He doesn't want us to be an observer. He doesn't want us to be passive. He doesn't want us to be an audience. All of us are soldiers of Yahushua. All of us are disciples. And so we work with him and be with us. When we work together with him, it's impossible, brethren, to commit that sin against the Holy Spirit. And so now that we have peace of the Holy Spirit, what must we never do? Because if we do, it's like insult, it's like blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Let's read Hebrews 6, 4 down to 6. For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn okay from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to publish him. This is why after receiving the Spirit of God, after being enlightened, after receiving and tasting the goodness of the Word of God, and then we leave and go against what we have received before, the Bible says it is impossible to bring them back to repentance once they have been enlightened. And it's impossible because they've already turned away from God. They're opposing the Word of God and the work of God. And so the Bible says it is like Yahushua is being nailed again to the cross if we were to be received again. And so let us let this be a warning. The reason why we're teaching this brethren so that we can be warned, so that we don't end up sinning against the Spirit. Blasphemy, especially. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a blatant and continuous rejecting of the Spirit's work in one's life. You experience the Spirit's power. It led you to Yahushua. You gave your life to Yahushua. You gave your work, your work to Yahushua. And then you walk out. And then you reject it. That is the equivalent of blasphemy 
against the Holy Spirit of Yahweh. So the sins against the Holy Spirit are mentioned in Ephesians, grieving the Spirit. Acts 7, resisting the Spirit. Thessalonians 5, stifling or quenching the Spirit. Acts 5, lying and testing the Spirit. Hebrews 10, insulting the Spirit. Matthew 12, blaspheming the Spirit. So those are the six categories of sins against the Holy Spirit. Do you still remember, still remember what they are? For example, grieving the Holy Spirit. How do you grieve the Holy Spirit? Do you still remember? Yeah, by harboring hatred, bitterness in your heart, heart you end up grieving the Holy Spirit. How about resisting the Spirit? You know what that meant in Acts 7? Resisting the progressive revelation of Yahuwah's restorative work. Because Yahuwah's work is ongoing. And so we should not be stuck in the past. We have to go with the flow of Yahuwah's work. How about Thessalonians 5, stifling and quenching? What is that? Yeah, resisting prophetic fulfillment. We do not want to resist prophecy, we want to be malignant in prophecy. Because it's the light, it shows us where to go. Acts 5, lying and testing, what is that? So we resist the growth of the assembly for selfish reasons, right? And because of pride, and we think what we own is really ours. Hebrews 10, what is that? Insulting the Holy Spirit. That is, yeah, resisting worship gatherings. Matthew 12, blaspheming, what is that? It's when we resist the Holy Spirit and we speak against the Holy Spirit. What do you notice? About the sins of the Holy Spirit. What do you notice? You see a pattern there? Acts 7. What's the key word that you see from Acts 7 to Matthew 12? What, what key word do you see? Resisting. You see, the sin against the Holy Spirit is rooted in resisting, not wanting to do, opposing, resisting. Resisting what? Resisting the work of Yahweh. See, sins against the Holy Spirit is the work of resisting the work of Yahuwah. And that's something we must never do. Yahuwah even says in Isaiah 43, 13, I am God. And also henceforth, I am He. There's no one who can deliver from my hand. I work. And who can hinder? Were there attempts to try to hinder the work of Yahuwah? The work of Yahushua? Yeah, there were attempts. Were there attempts to try and hinder worship in the assembly of Yahushua? Yes. But did they succeed? No. Why? Because this is not our work. This is the work of Yahuwah. Yahuwah says, I work, and who can hinder it? We may not be very knowledgeable with technology, with Zoom, with YouTube, and people try and resist this work. But to do that, we need to resist the work of Yahuwah. Yahuwah says, I work, and who can hinder it? And so let us not resist the work of Yahuwah, because to do so is at the root of the sins against the spirit. Okay? So that's the basic guideline. And so let's go to question number two. If you sin to the Holy Spirit, is there no forgiveness? Well, it depends on which category. What kind of sin against the Holy Spirit? I mean, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to go against what Yahushua said. Right? But if you still remember, first John 5, 16, 17, if you see a Christian brother, sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death because if one sins against the spirit you're pretty close to that sin that leads to death if you blaspheme the holy spirit you speak against the holy spirit i think that's already a sin that leads to death you know i'm not going to be the one to say can you be forgiven or not i'm not going to say that but if i were you 
which is what I say to myself and to my family. My advice is this. If we are guilty of sin, and all of us are, I think every day what we need to do is to examine self and what we need to do so that we can be in good standing with Yahuwah, is Isaiah 55 7. Let the wicked lead the way of life and change the way of thinking. Let them turn to Yahuwah, our God. He is merciful and quick to forgive. And so, if we sin against Yahuwah and we sin against Yahusha, if we sin against the Holy Spirit and we're making excuses for our sins, then it's, it's not good. And we make excuses for your sins. The best thing to do, you know, if we have not crossed that line, because I believe every person, there's a, there's a line that we cannot see, that Yahuwah can see that line. If you cross that line, it's like the Pharaoh, right? Yahuwah, after the Pharaoh crossed that line, Yahuwah was the one hardening his heart. And so we don't want to cross that line. I don't know where we are as far as that line is concerned. I mean, it depends on you. I mean, how do you feel? Do you feel repentant? Or are you making excuses for your sins? If we're making excuses for, for sins, it could be that we're far away from Yahuwah. But if we have a repentant heart and we still have this willingness to change our thinking and to lead back that way of life that is wicked, yeah, is Yahuwah. And then we turn to him, there's a good chance. Who, who am I to say you're not going to be forgiven? Yahuwah has forgiven a lot of people. I mean, consider Aaron. Remember when Moses went up? Remember when Moses went up to the mountain and he left Aaron in charge? What did Aaron do? He created a golden calf. Yahuwah was going to kill him. But he had a mediator. Who was that mediator? Moses. Moses mediated for Aaron in Israel. Moses was an imperfect mediator. We have a perfect mediator now. Who's that? And so if Yahuwah was able to forgive Aaron, there's a good chance for us. There's a good chance for us. Right? This is why Yahuwah even says in Isaiah 1, 18, 19, Yahuwah says, well, let's sell the matter. You are stained red with sin, but I, but I will wash you as clean as snow. Although your stains are deep red, you will be as white as wool. If you will only obey me, you will eat the good things the land produces. And so Bible tells us that Yahuwah, because of his mercy, because of his compassion, because of his loving kindness, even if our sins are red, even if our sins are deep red, not just red, but deep red, Yahuwah says, I will make them clean snow, white as wool. How much more will we have the power of the shed blood of the Lamb? Yahusha as our mediator. And so, brethren, if we are unsure of our standing with Yahuwah, let's get on our knees. Let us repent. Let us return to Yahuwah. And let us hold on to Him. Let us make sure that our hearts are given to Him. And we will do whatever it takes so we can remain in covenant with Yahuwah through our King Yahusha. Let's go to our final question. Is at the bottom. I just want to read the following passage, the, um, actually the question, the person asked, these verses make me worry. Rightfully so, right? I mean, we don't want to commit the unforgivable sin. I'm trying to commit myself and work and my life to Abba Lahua, but what if there's a test and I couldn't or wouldn't pass it because of my anger and hatred and because of one time recklessness overcame or overshadowed me, will Abba remember the good things and sacrifices I've done? This worries me a lot. Because I've witnessed righteous people committing unimaginable and abominable things. How do I avoid these things? How to resist the devil? 
broken so strong. First thing we need to keep in mind, none of us are righteous on our own merit. The righteousness we have is imputed upon us because of our generation. And so we need to acknowledge that we're not perfect. We need to acknowledge that we can commit sin, right? I mean, if Ananias and Zephyra, after receiving the Spirit, after being one with the assembly of Yahushua, and the Spirit was poured out to the and preach the Word of God, if they were, if Satan was able to enter their heart, who are we? Who are we? It doesn't matter what we've done in the past. We are all vulnerable. Our heart is very, very vulnerable. We need to protect our heart. Let's not be like Ananias and Zephyr who did not protect their heart. And so how can, what can we do? How can we avoid that? How can we overcome the devil? Because he is strong. You know, he is strong. So how can we protect our heart so that we don't end up resisting the work of Yahuwah? Well, if we go back to look, uh, this table, the sin against the Holy Spirit, you notice the different kinds. You notice the beginning, Ephesians 4, right? Grieving, uh, grieving the Holy Spirit. What is grieving the Holy Spirit? Remember the sin of grieving the Holy Spirit? What is that? Yeah, when you allow hatred and bitterness and anger linger in your heart. You see, that's the entry point of the devil. That's the entry point. Whenever you give an entry point, when you give a chance for the devil to enter your heart, you will. And so when a person begins to grieve the Holy Spirit, he's in danger of resisting the Holy Spirit. This is why we put Ephesians 4 as the first one. Because the, the devil is looking for an opportunity to enter your life. Because once he enters your life, he takes a foothold of your heart. You know what he's going to do? He's going to make you resist the work of the Holy He's going to make you resist the Holy Spirit. This is why our protection is do not let the enemy and penetrate our heart. Right? This is why Ephesians 4 is so very important because it tells us what we must do so that we can protect our heart. What is that? Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. To become angry, do not let your anger lead you into sin. And do not stay angry all day. Don't give you that chance. You see, when the person is hurt, when the person is angry, he's vulnerable. That's when he has to be extra, extra, extra careful. Why? Because when the person is angry, and he lets that anger linger, and it becomes hatred, and it becomes bitterness, guess what? It's a good thing for the devil to enter you. And once the devil enters you, and you're filled with hatred, you're giving the devil a chance. And what will he do? He will destroy your life. Like he gives Ananias and Zephyr. Which is why the Bible says, Apostle Paul says in 30 and 32, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all minds. You know what's the best way to protect your heart from the devil? Allow Yahushua to dwell in your heart. Right? Because if Yahushua dwells in your heart, when the devil tries to look, go into your heart, you can run away because he will see Yahushua in your heart. The question is, is Yahushua in your heart? Yahushua cannot be in our heart if we have bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and the speaking moments. Remember, when we speak of Yahushua being in our heart, it is through the Spirit. But if we have anger, and bitterness, and clamor in our heart, then Yahushua cannot enter our heart to protect it. This is why Apostle Paul says, put it away, put it away. 
We need to remove bitterness and hatred from our heart. Because if we allow that, then we're not protected by Yahushua. Yahushua cannot be in our heart. If we have all this nasty stuff in it, we have to remove all that. How can we remove all of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and malice from our heart so that we don't end up grieving the Holy Spirit of God so that we give room for Yahushua to dwell in our hearts? What must we do? Well, let's keep reading. We read 30 31, let's read 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. We cannot emphasize this enough. If ever there's anger, a clamor, a bitterness, a wrath in the heart, we got to remove that as soon as possible. Because so long as we have anger and clamor and evil speaking, Yahushua cannot be in our heart to protect us. But once we remove that, Yahushua can go with us. But how can we remove that? We have to forgive. This person who has brought bitterness and anger, clamor, and evil speaking in the heart, we have to forgive that person. We have to. Because if we are unable to forgive this person, then how can we receive the Holy Spirit of God? And so let us follow the good example of Dr. Yahushua and follow the example of Yahuwah. Yahuwah forgives us. We should also forgive each other. Because the longer we postpone forgiveness, the more opportunities we give for the devil to enter the heart to destroy our lives. And so let us remove bitterness. Let us replace it with kindness and tenderheartedness. Let us live in the spirit by allowing Yahushua to dwell in our hearts. And what happens? The devil can't touch us. The devil may be strong, but Yahushua is stronger than the adversary. And so let Yahushua enter our hearts. We can dwell there, there so that we can protect and preserve our hearts and our hearts. Okay? That is our lesson. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Abba, gracious and almighty Yahuwah, thank you for blessing your people, your teachings. They are our guiding line. You have given us the light to follow through your work of restoration revealed in prophecy fulfilled by Yahusha. This is your light that we must follow. Help us, O loving Abba, that we will follow your lead, follow your direction, despite the opposition, despite resistance, because we know that the adversary, the devil, will do his very best to try and infiltrate our work, to try and derail us and destroy us. Loving Abba, we go to you. We ask you to please send forth your Holy Spirit. Help us to learn from the scriptures that we will always be obedient to you and that we will be submissive to the work of your spirit. Our King Yahushua, we prepare our hearts for you. We want you to dwell in our hearts. Yes, we know it is stained by iniquity. We have pride because of pride. There are times when we are unable to forgive and there is anger and clamor. There is bitterness. May you help us to remove them from our heart. We can do nothing on our own strength, but with you, we can do all things. And so we profess faith in you. We ask you, please, remove these filthy things in our heart because we want that our heart be a place for you to dwell, to protect us from the adversary. Mm -hmm. Father, please bless the work of the assembly. Mm -hmm. We firmly believe this is your work. 
And so no one and nothing can ever hinder it. And so we praise you. We will align our will with yours. We will follow your ways as the prophecy leads to the revelation of the Spirit that point to your beloved son, Yahusha. We will work towards this fulfillment because this is your work. We believe, Father, that you have listened to our prayers. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen.